We're going through the book of Galatians, and you, those of you who've been here a while will know that. And the Apostle Paul, this is a place where Paul had gone and planted churches. And especially the planted churches in Galatia here amongst non-Jews. And as Fran talked about last week, uh, some Jewish Christians were leading these non-Jewish Gentile Christians astray. And it said, it's not enough. It really is not enough to believe in Jesus alone. You need to keep all the Jewish laws too. And the church that he founded and planted was getting very confused and very lost. And chapter 3 begins this way, as David read. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, there's part of me, I was born in Yorkshire. I quite like Paul's straight speaking. It kind of appeals to me. Sometimes we don't like straight speaking for all sorts of reasons. But actually, he's being really, really direct with the Galatians. Because it's going wrong. See, because the thing is this, is that um, because somebody's open, because someone's interested in spiritual things, or maybe part of formal religion, or even believes in a higher power, it doesn't make them a Christian. All those things are interesting, but it doesn't make a Christian. And this should be obvious to any casual reader of the Bible. And what we find here is Paul in Galatians 3 said that there's one thing, that one thing in particular that will lead you away from faith in God and being a Christian, and that is legalism. So if you add anything to my gospel of grace through faith in Christ alone, your rules, whatever they are, however you try to justify them, are a form of witchcraft. We don't use that language, do we, in, in our century? You know, breathe. It's a form of witchcraft. It's a shocking language for us. But look at verse 1. Literally, Paul says, Who has cast a spell on you and moved you away from the gospel of grace? And Paul is saying that, showing how destructive any form of legalism is, and he's comparing it to being someone who pursues the occult. That's how serious Paul is saying. Oh, it's got quite quiet in here, hasn't it? So my question is this. Do you believe legalism is as dangerous as that in your life? Now, a couple of weeks ago, I did say to the staff, a couple of weeks ago when I stood up here, is I sort of, in the middle of my sermon, I admit it might have been my tone, uh, sat, stood here and said, so let me ask you a question. Are you converted? And there was that kind of slightly awkward silence where you kind of thought, well, I don't know, Tim. I'm not sure. And I, am I supposed to interact here? And then kind of a group of Pentecostals would be going, preach it, brother, or pray for me, brother, more likely. You know, quietly we kind of sit. But Scripture is asking us a series of questions as we submit ourselves to Scripture, it's asking us to engage and to see what God is saying to us. Well, if, it, if that's what, uh, it's not all faith is Christian, then what is Paul saying it, faith in Christ is all about? Firstly, we're cross-shaped people. Verse 1, the apostle always preached Christ crucified. He didn't just talk as Christ as an example, as a teacher, as a friend, as a helper. 
Christ crucified. Christ crucified on a cross, hands and nails through his arms and his feet, dying on the cross for our sins. Paul always preached Christ crucified. And Paul's saying, if you understood that, if you grasped that, then you wouldn't be listening to these people who are telling you to add the Sabbath or to add all the other circumcision or all the other rules to your list. Because on the cross, Jesus cried, it's finished. It is finished. Everything I set out to do has been accomplished. God's will has been done on, completely done on earth. The whole of the Old Testament ceremonial law um, is finished in one perfect, sufficient sacrifice of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So what do we see by that? It means that God, in his extraordinary mercy at the cross, has held Christ responsible for yours and for my sins. He is our substitute. He stands in our place and deals with our sin right there at the cross, which means we can live in laying all our sin on him. We can live as free people, full of mercy, full of grace, forgiven people, forgiven people, sons and daughters of the living king. Now, my question is this, is that do we believe that this morning? Do we really, I mean, do we really believe that this morning? That God has taken everything wrong that I've done in my life, everything, past, everything in my past, things in my present, things in my future, and has laid them all on Christ. Do we believe that? Or... Do we actually believe that really we're trying to pay off God a little bit at a time? You know, and for example, every time I come to church, I get a chance maybe to deal with a little bit more of my sin. And the thing is this, is that we're weakened as Christians when we don't receive the complete finished work of Christ on the cross. Christian faith is cross-shaped and Christ-centered and cross-centered too. Then we sort of see that we're also people, a Holy Spirit-empowered people. Verse 2 and verse 5. Following the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God, God gave a new identity marker to his people. And it was in the empowering presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. But you see, these Jewish Christians were saying, well, do you know what? That's not enough. You need to be circumcised still. You still need the mark of circumcision to keep the Jewish laws. And Paul says, Galatians, don't you get it? Don't you understand you've already received the mark? It's the mark of the presence, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he goes on to say, when you entered the Christian life, when you were born again, when you moved from darkness to light, were you not born again by the Spirit, says Paul? Then in verse 5, he also said, don't you continually, continually want to be filled by the Holy Spirit? One theologian put it this way, in terms of being full of God's Spirit and being open to be full 
We unzip, God jumps in, God jumps in, we zip back up again. May not be very theological for you, but sometimes that's quite a helpful picture of how we continue to be full and filled with the Holy Spirit. Has it happened to you? Do you long for God's the empowering presence of God's Spirit in your life? And this morning I'd implore you, implore you, don't just settle for what you have. God has more for you. Welcome the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Then thirdly, we are carried people. Galatians 3.3. Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by human effort? There's a wonderful story um, about the famous tightrope walker, uh, Charles Blondin, who lived in the 1800s. Some of you will know it. He was a famous, really famous tightrope walker. And he walked across Niagara Falls. He did a very famous walk across Niagara Falls. And he did it several times, having set a tightrope over Niagara. And he was so confident of his tightrope walking that he put a chair on there. He had a meal on there over the top of Niagara, Niagara Falls. I'm not suggesting this, by the way, for you. But he kind of did all those. He walked backwards. He walked forwards and kind of entertained people. And then at one point he said, who would like to come over there with me? And whether you think it's one of the most stupid things anybody's ever done or one of the bravest things somebody's ever done, one man actually volunteered and was carried by Blondin across this tightrope over Niagara. Now, you may be sat there thinking, that's utterly ridiculous, but just imagine this man got halfway across and said, you know what, Blondin, this wasn't a very good idea can you just put me down and let me walk back again? Do you know, what would his friends say? What would a blondin say? You know, how utterly ridiculous to even suggest that, even think that. What thinks you can make the rest of this journey by yourself having started it? And in a way, I know it's an extreme example, but that's what Paul is saying to these Galatians. Having begun the Christian life, have allowed, having allowed me to carry you, having put my trust, having you put my trust in me to get on to Christ back and allow him to carry you through the life he's called you to, why are you getting off? Why are you getting off and trying to do life by yourself with all, and doing it in your own strength and your own way? And the, one of the famous uh, theologians of the Reformation, Martin Luther, um, it's close to saying to progress in the Christian life is always to begin again. Do you know, we need to be reminded to come to God again and again and again. To keep walking with him. To be carried by him in the power of God's spirit. Because God hasn't stopped working in our lives. We're also uh, biblical people. This is a kind of a chunk of the reading David read, but I'm going to try and keep it really simple. Paul essentially makes one argument from the Old Testament. And I just want to make this point, is that we, uh, to be a follower of Jesus means that we take the whole of Scripture seriously, not just the parts we like or don't like. Jesus submitted himself to Scripture. And I'd suggest for us we need to think about that in our generation too. The Bible is one story one account of God's single saving plan for mankind, humankind. 
And what Paul teaches us here is that the whole Bible is to be read through the story of Abraham. Paul's opponent had actually picked up something that's written in Genesis 17 about circumcision being a mark of God's covenant with them. But Paul is saying, no, it doesn't start at Genesis 17. It started at Genesis 12, which he quotes in verse 6, where he says, actually, God had a single plan through Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. All nations will be blessed through you. God had a single plan to bless the world through this one man, Abraham. And in verse 6, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And the thing is this, is that Abraham is the way of unconditional promise. And obviously we don't live, most of us don't live in a world where our lives or our relationships are full of unconditional promises. We're bombarded, certainly I was, through my education and my childhood, but not just by that, but, but significantly, with unconditional promises, which unconditional promises is essentially the law which says that if you do this, then you'll get that. So if we do this, then we will get that, which is essentially the law. And actually, life is then all about our performance. It's about can we do this and can we not do that? And obviously, the law, as Paul is writing to them to say, is not enough. And the gospel, though, is entirely different. The gospel takes into a world of unconditional promises. And an unconditional promise is because, therefore. Because of this, therefore this. Which is very different. Because Jesus became a curse for us, taking the sins of the world upon his shoulders, becoming our substitute, therefore we, therefore we can be free. Because of Christ, we can therefore be be free. We can be saved. We can be in a right relationship. So this morning, whatever sins are besetting your life, I have no idea what's going on in lots of your lives or things that you're struggling with. Lay them on Christ. Lay them on Christ. Exchange your sin for his beauty and his holiness. And lastly, we're a people of faith and promise as well, still in these last verses in Galatians 3. Everything in the Bible points to God's plan, an unconditional promise to save the world through Abraham's seed, who is Jesus Christ. All the laws, all the history of Israel, all the prophets all point to Christ. And this is what the whole Bible gets to the heart of and teaches. It teaches about Christ. And so maybe this morning you're starting to think, well, you know, okay, that's interesting, but how much faith do I need to be saved by God? How much faith do I need? Well, how much faith did Abraham need? What did it say? Abraham looked to the stars and believed. He looked to the stars and believed. How much faith did the thief on the cross have? The, faith had enough, the thief on the cross had enough faith simply to turn to Jesus. To turn to Jesus. And he was saved. It's not our faith that saves us. 
about drumming up our energy to save us. It is Jesus who saves us. We just need enough faith to turn to him and trust him this morning. So let's pray.